This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Hey, it's Alec. We all love true crime podcasts, but perhaps you're looking for something a little different. Less murder, more intrigue. I invite you to check out a new podcast I just released called Art Fraud. It's the true story of one of New York City's oldest and most trusted galleries dealing in world-class art and how its doors would close forever in the wake of an unprecedented scandal. The art market is ripe for cons because it's inherently subjective. I just couldn't even look at it because it was so garish and so not by Rothko. We're talking about $80 million in fake paintings, or more precisely, forgeries. All episodes of Art Fraud are available right now. Okay, here's our show. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing from iHeartRadio. My guest today comes from the most legendary of American families. Rory Kennedy is the youngest daughter of Senator Robert F. Kennedy and the niece of President John F. Kennedy. But as she will tell us during our conversation, she's also one of the great Kennedy women. Instead of following her forebears into law or politics, Kennedy has made a name for herself as a documentary filmmaker. Her films feature a wide range of subjects, from surfing legend Laird Hamilton to challenging issues like poverty, addiction, and mental illness. In her current film, she's tackling corporate corruption. That film, Downfall, the case against Boeing, investigates the circumstances that led to two tragic passenger jet crashes in 2018 and 19. Rory Kennedy and I talk about her remarkable upbringing and how the people she's encountered in her life have influenced her trajectory. I think it's hard to detach anybody from how they grew up, right? I mean, that's such an influence and impact on who you become. And certainly that was the case with me. I grew up, you know, the youngest of 11 and in a, obviously a very political family. And I was impacted by that. I mean, I was also surrounded. My mother made a point of this by really extraordinary role models, you know, and we had such a the honor of meeting 
whether it was, you know, presidents or congressmen and senators or people like Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu, you know, who who were in our homes. And also some of the great athletes and, you know, NASA astronauts. I mean, so I think it was a life where we were surrounded by people who created a sense of aspiration and to try to make the world a bit of a better place. Now, but would you say, though, that as you're making a film, do you have protocols, rules, tenets, whatever word you want to use, where you sit there and say, that's not something I'm going to do that's influenced by the way your family's been treated? If you're making a film, let's well, say some aspect of a story, there's a very kind of scandalizing, tawdry... Right. Do well, you shy away okay, from that because so, the way you guys have been attacked from time to time? I think I have certain sensitivities. For example, with Downfall, the case against Boeing, there's 346 people who died, and there are the family members who are related to those people, some of whom we talked to in our film. And I was definitely thinking, well, how is it going to be for these folks to watch this film? Right. And I've had to see scenes over and over again that play themselves out on the news that are very upsetting to watch about my family dying. Right. And and being killed. And and I didn't want to subject them to that. But I also wanted to make a film that was impactful. We do uh, CGI recreations of what it was like to be in the cockpit Mm -hmm. so that we could really help people understand the perspective of the pilots in these planes and what they were struggling with with the MCAS system. And, you know, but I thought, how are these folks going to watch this film? So when I sent the film to them before it's coming out, I highlighted all the sections that I thought would be hard for them to watch so that they could be aware of that and go into it and decide to watch those sections or not. So, you know, maybe I have some sensitivity in moments like that. I think the types of films I choose generally tend to be political in nature and tend to, you know, I I hope when people watch these films, whether it's this or a film about Vietnam, the final days of the war, a film about Abu Ghraib, that we learn from them and we learn from watching these stories and and hopefully make better choices moving forward, right? So I think the choices of the films I make are certainly impacted by the family I grew up in. It's interesting that you mentioned that, and this is only tangential, but I remember being invited years ago. Clinton was in the White House. I was invited to the White House to a screening of the movie The Paper by Ronnie Howard. And I'm sitting in a seat in the theater, and the woman to my right who's sitting next to me, a gun goes off in the middle of the film. And that woman grabbed my arm and gasped, this huge gasp, when the gun went off. It was your mom. Right. It was your mom. So, you know, there's trauma. You said to me, to this day... It's she's not prepared for that. Yeah, those sounds. Yeah, Yeah. so there's trauma related to that for sure. Big time. Now to get to the film. uh, So I watched this film obviously, and I was mesmerized. Congratulations, by the way. I mean, you came to the Hamptons Film Festival every year. A film of yours comes, and we all look at each other and we're like, "Can we really invite?" Her again? Do we, are we bringing Rory out to East Hampton again? I mean, is it enough enough? I mean, how much more can we shine her up here? But we loved your, your film about your mom. We're going to get to that later. Loved Last Days of Vietnam. That was a great, great I'm not just saying this. That's a great movie. Great movie. Really, just you, you, it, it, what film can do and the spirit of what's happening and, and understanding that the, those moments, the, you did a great job. Now, this film, 
made me angry. <laughs> this film, I was pissed off. Because only one guy, I think, think uh, uh, is criminally charged, correct? That's correct. And that we identify that person? Uh, Mark Forkner. And he was in charge of what at Boeing? He was a pilot, a test pilot. And he was, he, you know, he really wasn't responsible for what happened. And a lot of people feel like he was scapegoated because he was really in charge of making sure, you know, he was testing the plane. And then he played a role in keeping the MCAS system away from the regulators. And that's documented. And there's proof of that. And so they followed up with that. But, you know, Congressman DeFazio, for example, led the Congressional investigation into what happened, the biggest investigation in the Infrastructure and Transportation Committee's history. And he concluded that this is was really top-down, right, that the top group uh, in, in management at Boeing was very aware of the MCAS system, that there was a concerted effort to keep the system away from the regulators, to hide the system, and to cut corners along the way, and that there was, you know, it was a culture of concealment, is, is what he calls it. So I think that there are a lot of people who feel like the folks who are most responsible have yet to be held accountable, and there's been no criminal charges, and, you know, Mullenberg walked away with the head of Boeing. The head of Boeing. Sixty-something million. $62 million. So, you know, I think after you've kind of watched the film and really understand all the decisions that the management at Boeing made along the way to prioritize profit over safety, that, you know, when you understand the depths of those choices, that I think many people like you are outraged. Well, for people, I don't want to—I want them to see the film, obviously, but I want to give them just a taste of—so Boeing wants to create—I'll let you fill in the blanks here—they want to create a fleet. Uh, They're losing market share. They're getting their hat handed to them by Airbus. Things are not looking good for Boeing, who had been dominant around the world for decades. And then and, and with the pride of not just Seattle, but the United States aviation industry. And then the things start to go down for them. So they want to play catch up and they want to produce a lower cost, more fuel efficient, I think was the goal of the uh, seven... 737 MAX. The 737 MAX. Got to get the word MAX in there. The 737 MAX, fuel efficiency was the goal. And then a part of this was the development of this system, which was to help to, so they don't make too steep a climb, a system takes over the plane and lowers the nose of the plane and forces the plane down, but doesn't shut off. It forces the nose of the plane down straight into the ground, correct? Well, yeah, that's correct. There There were concern at a certain angle that the plane would stall. And so they, instead of changing the kind of structure of the plane and moving the engines and and whatnot, they decided to fix it with a computer system. Again, in an effort to save money, it seems. And that computer system was connected to one sensor on the side of the airplane, like a weather vane. And so if that sensor was damaged, which happens often, gets hit by a bird, something happens to it, it would send, and this is what happened, erroneous information to the computer system. So it would tell the computer system that the plane was at a certain angle and you needed to push the nose down, but it wasn't at that angle. It was you know, more at a flat angle. And not only would it push the nose of the plane down, but it would do it over and over and over again. Probably the most 
harrowing details you cover in the film is, and the pilots were not told about the installation of this system. That's correct. It's, you know, prior to the Lion Air crash, which was the the first crash, the pilots were completely unaware that the system was even on the airplane, which was also kind of flew in the face of what had been the normal relationship between Boeing and pilots, which was to really educate and inform pilots about everything, training, training, you know, make them fully equipped to handle any situation that would happen. But in this case, they, in an effort to really keep this from regulators, really what was motivating them is that if they have a totally new system on the airplane, then they have to train pilots. And if they have to train pilots, it costs them a million dollars per an aircraft, you know, on average to to train these pilots. So they wanted to, again, it seems, save the money. And so instead of making people aware that this system was on the airplane, they made a concerted effort to We're not even going to tell you about this machine we've installed, which, if it behaves badly, is going to crash the plane. Yes. And there's a manual override that they might have been able to activate. They could have gotten out of it, I guess, if if they'd had the training. If they had had the training, except what we also discover and showcase in the course of this film is a document that came out in 2016. It's called a coordination sheet that shows that if something went wrong with the system, that the pilots would need to fix it within 10 seconds. Otherwise, the power of the MCAS system would overtake them if they didn't do it in 10 seconds, and the results would be catastrophic. And catastrophic in airplane language means the plane will crash and everybody will die. So, you know, even if the pilots... Right. So in the second instance, in the Ethiopian airplane crash, the pilots were aware of the system. They did everything right. They did what they were told to do, and the plane still crashed. So, you know, if you don't, and what you have to also remember, and and this is why we also created kind of the CGI recreation of what happens in that cockpit, is there's this cacophony of sounds and error alerts that are all contradicting each other that the pilots are trying to understand and navigate and figure out, okay, this is saying where, you know, the altitude is in disagreement, the airspeed is in disagreement, the all systems alert is on, the stick shaker is going. There's all of these alerts coming at them. And then with that, they have to navigate, okay, well, what this all means is that I need to do these steps within 10 seconds. And otherwise, this plane is going to crash. I mean, I don't want to go on a plane that is putting pilots in that position. I don't want to put my children or my family. Well, innocent people whose job, who'd give anything to save the lives of their passengers. Think of something more uh, unimaginable than to be on the in the cockpit of a plane and the plane is behaving and not in some anomalous way. You see yourself hurtling toward the ground. It's yeah. like 9-11. Yeah. You're the plane's going into the ground and you're sitting there thinking, what can you do? And you don't know what to do. Yeah, right. It's completely foreign. And, you know, maybe they're eating a turkey sandwich. You know, right. it's not like you're not there sitting there every, on total alert for the entire plane ride. Well, before we get into the macro of your filmmaking, one more thing. I, I think you make it clear 
in the film, the idea that this is a different Boeing at this point. I thought it was fascinating how you talk about the, the move to Chicago. They moved the headquarters to Chicago for the purposes of distancing themselves from the influence. <laughs> and I thought, to myself, well, I thought the influence was good. It was a nice battery. It was a nice exchange between unions, management, design, technology, and the, uh, the corporate. And these guys are like, no, 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 we, we, we don't want to be too close to those guys in Seattle. So we're going to move to Chicago so we can make our decisions in this bubble in Chicago. And, and it seems like what was a great company, that rare, uh, I mean, multi-billion dollar enterprise that made big, expensive things that they were very proud of, that defined a city and everything, moves to Chicago. And it seems like that's part of the problem. It was once the sh- that merger was made and they moved to Chicago, that cost-cutting thing becomes primary. I think that's right. You know, I think like you— I love Boeing and what Boeing stood for in this country and, you know, the history of Boeing. And we really celebrate that in the film because it's been an extraordinary company for decades. You know, it helped us get out of World War II. It helped build the fighter jets to win that war. It helped get us to the moon with my Uncle Jack. I mean, they helped build those engines and the rocket ships. They helped people be able to travel all over the world for the first time, you know, with the 747, an extraordinary accomplishment. So we wanted to celebrate that. And during those very early years and for many decades, Boeing did one thing, which was to say, we're going to prioritize excellence and safety. And then the profits will follow. We're going to make the best planes possible. We're going to innovate. We're going to do new things. And we're going to think to the future. And then it changed hands, taken over really. I mean, one person we interviewed said somehow McDonald Douglas bought Boeing with Boeing's money. And the McDonnell Douglas people were put in charge. And they had a very different business model, which was very Wall Street focused and quarterly earnings, you know, and so they've made a series of decision, corporate decisions to cut back on personnel whose whose job it was to ensure safety and put pressure on the folks who were building the planes to build them quicker and faster. And when people would complain about safety, that slows that process down. Documentary filmmaker Rory Kennedy If you enjoy conversations about the making of documentary films, check out my episode with British filmmaker Lucy Walker. Her documentary, Bring Your Own Brigade, is an in-depth look at California wildfires and their effect on local residents. What I wanted to understand is, well, how are we stopping it? And why are people living in these areas and building these houses that burn over and over and over again? Could we do better? So you would think that when people look at developing an area for housing, they would think about fire safety. But nobody's actually thinking about, well, are they going to be able to insure these homes? And who's going to pay if these homes burn down? To hear more of my conversation with Lucy Walker, go to heresthething.org. After the break, Rory Kennedy and I discuss the filmmakers who have influenced her work. Mother's Day is coming, and Mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. 
Get Mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get Mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So, instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails, and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day, because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit bartesian.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb. Tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. I'm Alec Baldwin and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Filmmaker Rory Kennedy has made more than 40 documentaries. Her work has earned an Emmy and several Oscar nominations along the way. I wanted her to share some of her process as a filmmaker. Well, you know, different people and companies work in different ways. I'm very hands-on as a filmmaker, and I, you know, I, I love to be doing all the interviews and being in the edit room. And so I don't take on a huge number of projects at any given time. And usually when I decide that I really want to do a particular project, I really try to make it happen. Mm-hmm. I was really committed. I felt like this story was so important. The downfall story, uh, I think like so many other people, I witnessed these two airplanes crashing within five months of each other, the exact same aircraft. 346 people died. And, you know, I, like so many other people, fly, right? And I felt like I want to know what happened, who knew what when, who is responsible for this, and I want to make sure that something like this doesn't happen again. But I also felt that 
you know, during the last decades that America has been really prioritizing corporate interests, right? And so I think this film— More than usual. (laughs) (laughs) I think this film, I hope, rises to something that's not just about these crashes, which is, you know, as meaningful as it gets, but I think it touches on something else, which is the need to regulate, the need to balance out corporate interests, making money, making money, making money, and the need to balance that with public interest, right? And we've seen corporations like Boeing balance those for many decades and do fantastically well. And I think that when that gets out of balance, it hurts everybody. So when you see someone like DeFazio, the head of the committee, the guy that was the leading light there in the Congress, did he have as much integrity overall as it appears to be on screen? He's fantastic. Yeah, because you, you know as well as I do, you know, where are people in government who care enough and they want to fight? The way we're going, I mean, like, like Boeing was a company, you say, well, you understand you want people to make money and make profits. Boeing was doing quite well before, sure, they had a slump when Douglas took over, but what you find is not only do people want to make money, they want to make obscene amounts of money. They want to make an amount of money that they, they, they're looking at you like you're a child, like, well, you know, now calm down, Sonny, because there's a lot of money at stake here for us who run, run and own the company. And my point is, is that for me, I'm always so sad. I'm always so impacted by government officials who don't have the guts to do their job. And, and, the, and the government's job is to, I mean, I've, I've, I watch people in testimony, uh, in hearings, and, and I think to myself, thank God I'm not there, because I would be looking at the heads of car companies and oil companies going, you don't get it. You come here, you answer our questions on behalf of the American people. We have the authority. And I feel like that authority is not always employed effectively. You said DeFazio did a good job. He's amazing. I mean, he and his heart was so in the right place, but he was also dogged, and he held these folks accountable. And, you know, when you see him in those congressional testimonies and chasing down every single document and, you know, putting this report together, which took years in the making and is incredibly thorough, they go after Boeing and they hold them accountable and they're continuing to go after Boeing. So I think there are a lot of extraordinary heroes who are selling who were really on the front lines of this, whether it's DeFazio or Michael Stumo, who's the father of Samia Stumo, who died in the Ethiopian plane crash and turned from a victim to really an advocate. And he, I mean, I just got off the phone with him yesterday, and he he's not giving up on this. I mean, Boeing's thrown a lot of money at these families to get them to be quiet. Shut up. Yeah. And he is not going to be silenced, and he is continuing to— you know, spread the message that that this that he has very continued concerns about the safety of the 737 Max, the 787 Dreamliner. They just announced yesterday the FAA that I mean, as though this should be news, but that the FAA is going to actually regulate Boeing and not let Boeing regulate itself. Self-regulate, yeah. <laughs> so you know, which for people, which the point of watch the film. Because that's another interesting point about how when I was studying government at GW in the 70s when I went down there to Washington to go to school and we talked about that and we talked about how, you know, uh, departmentalization, how people are in these departments like presidents come and go. We're here as civil servants for 20, 30 years. And so here at the FAA, we have our own relationships with with airline companies and they allowed Boeing to self-regulate and self-inspect. 
I do think you're right that there's there are not enough people in government who are advocating. But I guess my point is, is that in this film, you show a world where advocacy comes from a lot of different perspectives. It comes from the government officials doing the right thing. In this case, DeFazio, it also comes from, you know, people who don't think of themselves as advocates, but turn into advocates as a result. And then, you know, Andy Pastor, who's a dogged journalist who chases down the story and gets us the information. And it's the combination of all of those people who come together and, you know, the storytellers, right? So I'm I'm not putting myself in that category, but we also have to, you know, the Lucy Walkers and, and yourself, the people who are packaging these stories and getting them out in Bring a way that's digestible to an audience. And so that, that translates, hopefully, into creating a better world. I'm curious for people to understand how documentary films come to the screen. Bob Drew, he did the triptych primary about your uncle. I mean, one of the funniest things in the world you've ever seen in your life. Hubert Humphrey walking into, like, some barn with men sitting on bales of hay, saying, America, we know what it's got to do. And then they cut to your uncle walking in with his wife into a room full of people, and people are crying and screaming like it's a Beatles concert. Oh, who's going to win the primary? Who were your influences in your filmmaking? Well, certainly Bob Drew was, I mean, an extraordinary filmmaker. Penny Baker was a huge influence on me as well. Barbara Koppel, who, you know, the first documentary feature I made was American Hollow, which was about a family in eastern Kentucky. And it was really an extraordinary story of this woman who had 13 kids, and they all lived off the land. And we kind of spent a year with them, certainly influenced by Barbara and her extraordinary work in in Kentucky and Appalachia. So... You know, I think those early verite filmmakers have huge influence on on the world of filmmaking today. And then there are just, you know, there's just a slew of incredible filmmakers who are colleagues of mine. You know, Lucy Walker, you mentioned, I think she's a fantastic filmmaker. My old partner, Liz Garbus, is fantastic. But you're not working still together as a company? We're not still together as a company, but we're, we remain very good friends and advocates for each other. I love the Cousteau film. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah gosh, you're, you are so knowledgeable. Amy Berg is fantastic. R.J. Cutler, Davis Guggenheim. I mean, there's just Don Porter. I think that we're surrounded by really talented filmmakers. And I think there's, I think we've all also been influenced. You know, I think this verite influence has impacted the kinds of work that we do. But I think we're also influenced by Hollywood and the films that we're seeing, the narrative films and, and the dramatic storytelling so that we're making films that keep you a little bit more at the edge of your seat of what's going to happen next, you know, and, and really pull you into the characters and, and, and to the plot and to, you know, the storytelling. I think it's very sophisticated these days. I think, you know, you see it out in the world. And, you know, when you turn on your Netflix account, it's a mix up there. It's not like, here's the narratives and then go down deep into your Netflix account to find the documentaries. They're up center, you know, because people are watching them. Yeah, they're and not they're, in the closet anymore. They're pulled in. And, and I think it's because they're really great storytellers. Filmmaker Rory Kennedy. 
If you're enjoying this conversation, tell a friend. And be sure to follow Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, Rory Kennedy talks about the film of hers that was the hardest for her to make. Mother's Day is coming, and Mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get Mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get Mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So, instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails, and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day, because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit bartesian.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb. Tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. The Kennedy family has made history, and most of that while occupying a path from Hyannisport, Massachusetts, down to McLean, Virginia. And yet Rory somehow landed in California. Well, my husband, Mark, as you know, is a screenwriter and a writer, and he is also my partner in writing documentaries, but he has other writing that draws him out there. So we decided we'd go out there for a couple of years because at that time, 10 or 12 years ago, the kind of independent film world was fizzling out here in New York and was sort of pivoting over to the West Coast. We fell in love with California 
your brother moves out there. I talked to him on the phone. I go, how do you like it? He goes, it's great. I go, oh, God, no, no. I said, not you. Not you. Come on, Alex. I said, you're going, you're going out there. I said, man, I think Cheryl's great. <laughs> but there's a lot of other women out there for you, Bob. I mean, it doesn't have to be living out there in California. And he loves it. Yeah. Loves he it. came out there with his emu. His bird. I remember I he, he was trying to figure out a way to get the bird out there. And I said, well, you know, I, maybe try Richard Plepler. He's got that HBO plane. So he called Richard and he said, can I bring my can you take my bird out? But he failed to mention that the bird was six feet high and needed to go <laughs> with Richard. What, anyway, so he said, what did the bird, the bird want out. on the catering order? The, yeah. the bird came out and, and, and then Bobby didn't have a house for the first couple of weeks. So the bird lived at my house house with Mark, Nate Blueberries, and anyway, there are lots of stories to tell about Toby the bird. And he loves California now, too. Bob yeah. loves it. Yeah, he loves, he loves it out there. Now, you did the movie about your mom, and of course, you make a little joke there about how difficult it was to recruit your mom. Yes. She's not easy. She was not. She was not a willing subject to be filmed. No. But eventually, she settled down. My siblings were very difficult too, by the way. Really? Well, yes. They just didn't make it easy. They're too busy. Yeah. No, they just wanted to make it difficult for me. Because why would it? Why would they make it easy when they don't have to? No, they were all fantastic, and including my mother. And they, they did answer ultimately all the questions I asked them. And my mother, I was just with her yesterday. I played backgammon with her, and I, I mean, I was just, I was winning the whole game. My dice were so much better. I played brilliantly, and then she beat me again. She's 94. I cannot beat that woman playing backgammon, and I'm not a bad backgammon player. I love that, I love that your mother also, and, and you know this infinitely better than I do, she just, in her own wonderful way, in, in a truly in a truly marvelous way. She just doesn't suffer fools at all. And we're playing golf up there at the, at the golf tournament. And she says to me, come and golf with me. You're going you're gonna to be with me. And you're going to be with Frank and so, and so and so. And I go, I said, I beg your pardon. I said, you have to really understand that's important because I've crossed this this juncture before. I said, I'm a miserable golfer. Oh, you know, of course you can hit a golf ball. Come on, come on. You're gonna... I said, no, 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 I don't think you really understand. I need you desperately to listen to carefully what I'm saying. Now. I said, no, 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 please. This is nonsense. Come on. You're going to come with me. You're going to play with me. And Frank, and I, as is always the case. I am scared to death, so I do fairly well. I can drive the ball. I can. I, I, I get lucky with the irons. I can putt and I can drive irons. I'm terrible. We get to the second or maybe the third hole and your mother turns to me. She goes, you're right. You really can golf, can you? <laughs> Did she, she goes, kick you off she your team? Can we get Lou in here, someone? Where's the ringer that was following us to fill in for me? Now, one thing I noticed when I worked with the Kunstler sisters who did Disturb in the Universe about their father, William Kunstler, and when I was talking to them, it was, I, I kind of knew this, but it was brought into sharper focus for me. The cost, I mean, they told me that they were trying to retire a debt of like 40000 or $50,000 of debt they owed for archival footage from NBC and other network news organizations. Is that true for you as well? I mean, do, do you find these costs are just, I mean, because I, for one, believe that all network news organizations, the material should be made free under fair use. These are public airwaves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is. It can be astronomical, the cost associated with archive. I mean, we're lucky enough with this film that it was it was fully financed by Netflix, who covered those costs for us. So so we're not dead on it. But it can really make or break a lot of terrific documentaries out there. I think more people are leaning into fair use, but there has been a few instances of 
backlash against that where where people chase them down and demand being paid. You know, particularly for these historical documentaries, it's it's a real cost. It's like people who, when I was working more consistently on the issue of campaign finance reform with creative coalition organizations I worked with years ago in the 90s, from disparate sources, we learned that the one of the great enemies of campaign finance reform is the National Association of Broadcasters. Because these affiliates in the network TV world, someone said to me, there are stations in this country that make 70% of their annual budget during one election cycle. Right. And selling political advertising. They do not want to take the money out of politics. And the NAB, the National Association Board, is constantly fighting campaign finance law changes. Yeah. Well, listen, I so appreciate your work in that area, too, because I think, you know, when just circling back to your point about, you know, who are these leaders now, like DeFazio, who are advocating for us, I think it's it's hard, given the system that we have, to really produce and, and encourage people who... Who are who are in it exclusively for the public interest, right? I mean, that's the, those are the types of people who you want to be driven to politics as people who are going to make the world a better place. But instead, they're often driven there because of money, and that's not really the reason you want people ultimately in that in that position. So, I think there's a lot still to be done, obviously, with campaign finance reform in this country. Which film for you was the most difficult to put together as a film? What was the biggest challenge? Well, I think the hardest one for me was Ethel. You know, the stakes were so high and it was so deeply personal. You know, I had to look through lots of footage. We're talking about archive footage, you know, some of which was extraordinary and beautiful and so fun to see and just, you know, gave me a depth of understanding of my family and my father, who I never met, you know, just watching him in this footage and a lot of footage that's never been seen before was was a really beautiful experience for me, but it was also emotionally challenging and difficult. And, I, you know, I wanted to ultimately make a film that showed, you know, the challenges and the difficulties that my mother in particular went through and faced, but also, you know, to celebrate her, because I think that for so many people in our family, they focus on Robert Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, Teddy Kennedy, but there's not as much focus on the women, right? And there, you know, my Aunt Eunice started the Special Olympics. She's contributed enormously, and but she hasn't quite gotten that same level of attention, and nor has my mother. And so many people, when they introduce me, they say, oh, this is Robert Kennedy's daughter. And I'm like, well, my mother actually <laughs> right. raised me. And, you know, she played a pretty big part in, like, who I am. So part of it was, like, I think she deserves the spotlight, at least for a moment. Like, at least— To be you, understood. Yeah, and to help people understand her contribution. Because she was also—her nature was to kind of— stand behind and not, you know, be the one on the microphone and be the one sort of at the front line. So anyway, I think just for me personally, the stakes were higher on that one and and it was more challenging for me. What are you working on next? I'm working on a couple projects. I've got another film with Netflix that is about a volcanic eruption that I'm doing right now. And then I've got a film about the global refugee 
crisis. That's, Something light and frothy. Yes. These are the main ones I'm focused on, and I'm very excited to you know have this film coming out on Netflix and um, committed to getting as many eyes on it as possible. Now, Last Days of Vietnam was in 2014. How many of these films, Ethel was in 2012, I can't believe that, but of these last films, have most of them been with Netflix? No, this is my first film that I've directed with Netflix. Last Days was with PBS, Ethel was with HBO, did a film about NASA with the Discovery Channel. Let me just say, Alec, that I have such admiration and respect for you. You're such a talented artist, and you've always committed yourself to making the world a better place. And you have such a love for people and a heart that is more open and more generous than anybody I know. And I just have such deep admiration and respect for you. Give my love to your mom. I will. You take care. Thank you. Rory Kennedy. Her documentary, Downfall, The Case Against Boeing, is available now on Netflix. This episode was produced by Kathleen Russo, Zach McNeese, and Maureen Hoban. Our engineer is Frank Imperial. Here's the thing is brought to you by iHeartRadio. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Hey, guys. You know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.